Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. O God, in whose service is perfect freedom, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know about you, but when things are bad in my life, my motto is that misery loves company. When everything fell apart with the coronavirus and the absence of, you know, living, tangible, miserable human company, right off the bat, I read Daniel Defoe's Journal of the Plague Year from the 1600s. When we moved into isolation to save ourselves, who else to turn to but the severe and the bizarre Desert Fathers, the earliest Christian monastic movement, who would take you about 10,000 steps further into social isolation into a world where one chooses to live their life in a 10-foot square cell. Times get bad, and I want the company of detailed histories of past miseries. This is not universal, I've found out. I suggested to Missy that we play this strategy game called Pandemic, which is like risk, except everyone is battling together against a pandemic that threatens to sweep over the whole globe. She looked at me speechlessly with a dawning sort of horror, as if she were seeing me clearly for the first time. Took it as a no. As I've been dwelling on the economic crisis, I've revisited something closer to home, literally. I have copies of some recordings of my Uncle Roger that he made in 1979 when he interviewed my great-grandparents about their lives. They are hours of Juanita Carswell and George and Elizabeth Lewis remembering their parents and their grandparents and their childhoods. Much of it dwells on the Great Depression and their tales of the Dust Bowl in Kansas. The drought was worse than the Depression, my great-grandma said, my great-grandma Carswell, and her voice was a tremulous one that I never heard in person. Farm folks were used to having little already, she said, but the drought. No rains, coupled with unsustainable farming practices, turned Kansas into a desert for a while. The cattle had nothing to eat. Every green thing, including the garden providing most of their food, was eaten up by grasshoppers that would descend in nightmarish plagues. The cost to ship livestock to a government buyer was higher than you'd get for selling the animal. My great-grandmother's voice spoke of these relentless northern winds that blew dust and dirt into their shut-up home so thick that she could no longer see the patterns on the living room rug that she had. What are farmers to do without a farm? Now, if you went to the Carswell farm today, you'd notice to the north of the house and the barn and the garden that there's this great row 
of evergreen trees. These northerly barriers are everywhere in Kansas, and they're roughly the same age, Depression era. By the, govern the government subsidized the cost of putting in tree rows on farmland. By the time Juanita Carswell's great-grandchildren came along, the rose had grown into a child's idea of a forest, at least if you're a Kansas child. They were tall as the great house itself, the ground now a soft pine bed, the branches made the walls of our make-believe forts. The rain eventually returned in the 30s. The farmers got back to tending their now thistle-covered fields, but they had something new rows of trees they had tended in the dusty interim that would be to them a sign both of recovery from desolation and continued protection from the desolation's return. The tree rows are the Midwesterner's version of the rainbow of Noah, if you will. I'll tell you another story, and this one's my own. Some of you know that I found the Episcopal Church in my 20s. But I'll tell you, since it's just, you know, me and nine other people and a thousand of my best friends online, <laughs> that I came in dragging along behind me a faith that I feared broken beyond recovery. It's not a terribly exciting story about how that happened. It was just mostly watching people I loved die too young and too often. And each time it happened, it reinforced to me that whatever God was, it was certain that he wasn't interested in my life. I came to the, the Episcopal Church and thought I'd give it another go. And I loved St. Luke's and this new thing that, to me, <laughs> called liturgy, which was actually quite an ancient thing. And I attended faithfully but the swift stroke of revelation and renewal wasn't happening. So I met with the priest after attending for a few months, and I confessed to him the way my disbelief was growing beyond my control, that I wondered if my heart was hard as Pharaoh's, that I feared that I was a wolf amidst these very kind and faithful sheep at St. Luke's. And you know what he said? Have you ever said morning prayer? Which was really not an answer to my legion of anxieties and fears that I desperately wanted him to give me. He told me he said morning prayer every day and he showed me how it worked. I walked away, honestly, a little aggravated and with my own new book of common prayer. It became my daily practice too. There was no magical fix to the desolation that I felt, but I tended it carefully like a new planting of evergreen trees. It's funny looking back how this was actually how services like morning prayer came about originally during the Reformation. At the time, as I'm sure you know, Catholics held services in Latin, and of course Catholic Church was the Christian Church. And Latin was a language that only the exceptional few knew. Churches often had screens to block the unworthy laity from viewing what was actually happening at the Mass. 
and only the priests were able to receive in many cases. The unclean masses were urged to, you know, feel it in their hearts. The reformers and we Anglicans rightly argued that prayer should be of all the people and said in the common tongue. Thanks to the advent of the printing press, little books of prayers began popping up everywhere, meant to aid the everyday carpenter or blacksmith, or maybe even the 20-year-old something college student as she paused her day to pray directly to God, without an intermediary, without levels of or barriers to participation in words that were not her own, but that with enough repetition would become a part of her. Right now, today, part of my misery is absolutely the separation from the practice of Eucharist. I'd be amused by the idea that uncleanliness is still what keeps people from the table if I weren't really sad about it, this time a literal uncleanliness. What are Eucharistic Christians to do without a common table? What are farmers to do without a farm? Have you ever said morning prayer? When I'm miserable, I want the accounts of others' miseries, not because I'm actually attracted to misery, I don't think, but because I desperately want perspective. I want to know what the best of the human spirit does in the worst times of plague and famine and separation. We know, you and I, that there hasn't been and isn't going to be a swift magical fix to what ails us right now, to return us to the way things ought to be. But it is right to consider the tending of patterns of care that we neglected until circumstance forced us to consider the sustainability, the health of the soils of our lives. It may have meant a daily practice for you that's come alive. It may mean other discoveries of quiet and simplicity. It may mean family prayers, daily long walks, intentional phone calls or card writing, game nights that may or may not include pandemic. For us here on Sundays, it means morning prayer, honoring that tradition that says, to a table to which only a select few are invited is no Eucharistic table at all. And who knows? When the green returns and the grasshoppers depart, you may find that the good things you've been tending all this time have taken root permanently. They will be unto you as a sign, both a sign of recovery and a sign of continued protection for you and for your children's children's children to shelter in. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. 
Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee. Mm-hmm.